Aloha and welcome to Cooper Union, what's happening with human rights around the world. Today we'll be looking at the state of human rights in the United States, measuring monitoring rights now. What we'll be doing is measuring and monitoring what matters most, because we know what we measure is what matters most. And we're very fortunate to be able to be joined with the Human Rights Measurement Initiative. And school is just starting. So I like to think of it as a report card on human rights for countries around the world. Also, by looking at this important data, we can reimagine rights in the United States. We most recently just celebrated World Indigenous Peoples Day, and I'm very honored to welcome both of our guests, Chad and Gail, to share with us a bit about human rights in the United States. Chad, can you share with us a bit about, and Gail, a bit about World Indigenous Peoples Day and Indigenous rights? And then I know we'll get into some other aspects on racism and racial justice. Uh, sure. So, uh, you know, um, at, at uh, Human Rights Measurement Initiative, we um, one of the things we do is we sort of ask human rights advocates in the countries we work in around the world, who's at most risk, right, to experience human rights abuses. And um, if you look at uh, our, our data, which is publicly available on uh, rightstracker.org, um, what you'll see is that one of the groups that's most commonly selected uh, it, it, uh, pretty much, you know, across countries where where it's possible to be selected, uh, you know, is indigenous people. We see indigenous people consistently, you know, at risk for human rights violations in many countries around the world, uh, including the United States. And so, uh, particularly if you look at the economic and social rights data for the United States. Um, um, indigenous peoples are often at high risk to experience limitations on things like uh, the right to, uh, to, to food, uh, the right to a job, and, and right to health and these kinds of rights. Uh, Talia, do you have things to add there? Yeah, it's, de it, it, it's definitely a trend across the world. Um, in every country where we measure this, uh, Indigenous people are right at the top of the list of groups that our human rights experts tell us are experiencing rights violations. Um, and so that's, it's a, it features really strongly um, in certainly in, you know, in every settler colonial country that you can, you know, that you would list off the top of your head. Um, but it's, I, I looked through all the data just yesterday to refresh myself and um, Indigenous people show up strongly in, in Vietnam, in Nepal, in Malaysia. Um, it's, it's a worldwide trend that Indigenous people's rights are not being respected. Thank you so much. And we do know though that human rights it's really the most important way to really look at quality of life, as you were talking about with economic social there briefly, Talia. And Wellington and New Zealand is actually, Aotearoa is leading the way with a new sort of well-being measurement as well in budget and other aspects. So it's exciting to see the conversation around human rights being much more broad. Um, could you share a little bit about well-being and some of those things going on with economic social cultural since, economic social since you started in that way? Yeah, well, I, I'd like to start by saying, um, you know, warm greetings from Aotearoa, New Zealand. We certainly have a long way to go here, um, so I, I wouldn't hold our um, our settler colonial state up as an example of um, how to do things. Um, we, we are, you know, we're having some conversations and there's progress being made, but there's a long way to go. Um, so we uh, at HERME, we measure economic and social rights as well as the sort of more classic civil and political rights that some people might think of first when they think of human rights. Um, and, and we measure them um, 
taking into account a country's income. Um, so we know that the, the international obligation on governments um, is to do the best with what they have. So, you know, nobody expects um, a very poor country to have um, a world-class health system, um, but, but every country is obliged to do its best for its people um, and to keep getting better by devoting the, the maximum available resources. So we measure how well a country is doing with what they've got. Um, and, uh, and we measure uh, the right to food, health, housing, education, and work adequate income. Um, all of those things, um, looking at how well governments are, are doing at turning their income into rights outcomes. Really good points, and we agree. Unfortunately, most settler states have so far to go and they're really just beginning to start having the real conversations that we're looking at with reparations and other issues. And that allows us to get back to focusing a little bit on the United States as well. We also know that August 31st will be the 20th anniversary of the World Conference Against Racism. And when we look at civil and political rights in the US, maybe Chad, you could share with us how we're doing and what is some of the information that you found in that important work regarding civil and political rights in the United States of America. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, I, I mean, just to start with sort of a broad overview of how the United States is doing on, on civil and political rights, uh, the short answer is quite poorly. Um, if, if you just sort of limit uh, the comparison to high-income democracies, right, and those that, particularly those countries that we have data for the Human Rights Measurement Initiative, the U.S. is the worst performer we have in the data set in that subset of, of countries, pretty much across the board on civil and political rights. Um, there just isn't another country like the United States that does as poorly on that subset of rights. Um, and that's not really unique to civil and political rights. I mean, we have a much larger data set uh, for economic and social rights. And even if you look at that subset of countries for economic and social rights, the United States is usually among the worst performers of high income democracies among in, in economic and social rights. So uh, pretty much across the board on human rights, perhaps unsurprisingly to, to, to viewers of your show, right? Uh, the United States doesn't do incredibly well uh, um, on those metrics. Um, now, if we think about why uh, the United States does so poorly, um, there are a number of reasons, right? We've already talked about one of them. Uh, poor treatment of indigenous peoples uh, is, you know, obviously a centuries-long problem in the United States, uh, and I think people tend to relegate that concern to the past. It's obviously still very current um, and still a, a crucial issue uh, uh, in the United States. But looking beyond that, uh, racial discrimination and racism uh, uh, are at the fore, right? Um, you know, if you sort of track through our data uh, and and once again, look at the, the people who are selected as the people at risk. One of the things you'll find is if you look across the economic and social rights, uh, people of particular races are often one of the most selected groups. And if you sort of uh, uh, dig into that a little bit more uh, about who those particular people are, are, you know, our expert respondents that we work with that are human rights practitioners around the United States are often referring to black people, uh, Latinx people, uh, and often sometimes, even in this category, they'll once again bring up indigenous people. And, um, you know, that sort of sets this picture of already on economic and social rights, you know, black people, Latinx people are not having the rights respected. Um, so then we maybe want to look at, well, can they use the political system? Can you use sort of the democratic system to try to get something better, right? To change that that maldistribution and that 
those poor economic and social rights practices. But then what we see there is once again, uh, especially uh, people of particular races are often the most selected group as being at risk for not being able to enjoy the right to political participation, uh, are facing violations uh, of the rights to assembly and association, right? Our, our respondents last year brought up uh, the violent response to many Black Lives Matters protests, right? Um, um, the backlash against uh, last year's election that we saw and, and the many sort of voting restrictions that states around the country tried to pass in the aftermath of that election uh, on the basis of, you know, let's face it, uh, not true allegations of election fraud. Um, but all of the attempts to control this, you know, sort of fictional election fraud uh, center around limiting voting rights for people who are often marginalized, often black people, often Latinx people, often poor people. Um, and so we see, you know, that that venue for changing things is cut off. Um, and at the same time, these are the very communities that are facing violence on the on the part of the state at at high levels, right? Um, so if you look at our extrajudicial killing uh, uh, metric, uh, it's one of the lowest in the world, uh, at least for the, the, the data that we collect. Um, certainly the lowest among high-income democracies. And once again, people of particular races are, you know, the most sort of targeted group there, right? And, and you know, once again, our respondents tell us they're talking about Black people and Latinx people or, or the groups that are being targeted uh, by the state for things like extrajudicial killing, for torture, uh, for arbitrary arrest, right? And so it's really a picture of a country, right, where... Um, both the economic and social conditions that marginalized people live in are, are, are poor and dire. The sort of uh, violence of the state is high towards those groups. And the mechanisms that one would go about changing that, either the institutionalized mechanisms via the vote or something like that, are cut off. And the non-institutionalized mechanisms of protest and assembly and association are met with more of that state violence. And so, um, you know, I, I don't think that this is new information to anyone, um, I, but I do think that people might find it surprising that it comes across so clearly uh, in the data that we have. I think that's probably one of the best aspects of the Human Rights Measurement Initiative is it puts it there. So it has the information, it shows what's going on. And as you brought up, uh, last November was when we also had the Universal Periodic Review of the United States when the world examines the US. And it reminded me why what you were sharing that at that time, death penalty got a lot of questions. The issue around voting got a lot of questions. All those issues came up. And it also was an aspect where you even had a, a really urgent debate taking place at the Human Rights Council, looking at systemic racism, police brutality, and even a vote at the most recent Human Rights Council saying that the US and the world has to do something about that. So it's probably a trend that you see in the US, but also across other countries. And it's it's really great that you're able to present it that way. And the other side of looking at it is, even the sad part as you brought up, once people did utilize all those civil and political rights to challenge a system that was set against and were able to win by actually electing someone that went along more with the majority of what the people saw as the right direction for the country to move away from that racist past, you now see those trends you pointed out on eliminating those rights to then make it even worse. So it, it definitely points out what we can do. 
tell you, yeah, is there anything you'd like to add to that as before we move into the economic and social rights a bit more and, and looking at people at risk as well as empowerment rights and quality of life? I think our, our data for the United States really highlights that all human rights are connected um, that, and that racial injustice um, is the dominating influence um, in the human rights landscape in the US. Um, we see that um, racial uh, groups, either, um, either ethnic groups or uh, the indigenous people, uh, they're selected as the top groups. Also, you know, migrants and, and refugees and asylum seekers, um, you know, those kinds of um, things are the, are the biggest influence in terms of who is being most affected by rights violations. Um, and I'd also say that um, we, we did some extra research on the effect of the pandemic this year um, and on the, on the effect of the government responses around the world to um, the pandemic. And um, our, our data for the US had all of those same markers where uh, racial injustice affected how people experienced the pandemic. Um, and so when we saw things like the right to housing being affected with evictions, um, that was along racial lines. Uh, when we saw a lack of health care, when we saw um, deaths, uh, those were along racial lines. Uh, and and when, we, um, when we saw, um, when we think about who are the essential workers who are being most affected by being exposed to the pandemic, those fall along racial lines also. Uh, and so our commentators and our, our expert respondents uh, repeatedly said that the, the negative effects of the pandemic were disproportionately affecting communities of color. And of course, when you look at the response by the government, especially with COVID, I'm sure that even dragged the US even lower. And it might've had a small blip going back up with the new administration but it's also really what you're talking about, economic social rights. When we don't have healthcare as a human right, when we don't have education as a human right, when we don't have the important issue of housing as a human right, as you pointed out, maybe you can explain a bit more about economic social rights, but also as you were talking about all the human rights being interconnected, Taylor, and then leading over to Jen. Yeah, well, the, as I said, the way that we measure um, how well countries are doing on economic and social rights, that's the right to food and health and housing, education, um, adequate income, those kinds of things. We're looking at how well a country is doing um, compared to how it should be doing, what we calculate it should be achieving. So we look at things like um, how many kids are in school and uh, how many people have um, food security. And then we look at how well other countries with the same level of income as the United States are doing on those kinds of things. And what we find is that the United States is doing very badly. Um, the, the scores fall into the, the very bad or bad range for almost everything. For, for one metric, they just, just scrape into our fair category. Um, and so, so that means that there is so much more that the people of the United States could 